So this is a theory of it. In practice, something always goes wrong. So, no. did I ever tell you the? Um, yeah. Did I ever tell you the difference between theory and practice? Um, you probably did, but I, <laughs> there's many ways to put this. Please. In theory, none. I'm lost. So the difference theory, between theory so, so, and practice. In theory, mm. no, no difference. In theory. Oh, no, got it. Okay, <laughs> now it sense. It's oh a good job. I need to wake up. I need to wake up. Is this a good segue sure in talking about artificial intelligence and decision making? I, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking we, we have to transition at some point, right? We have to start. Um, <clears throat> two themes which kind of stood out to me. One is this in your, in your article on machine anthropology. At some point, at, at the very end, you come to this this moment when I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. And you were talking about how we humans want to separate ourselves from nature and we're saying, oh, nature, label, nature, not us. And then we're saying us, humans. And then we're saying artificial, and we're saying artificial intelligence. We created something, it's artificial intelligence. And the way I understood your article is that you basically, you, you convinced me with this article that it's all completely shallow, right? It's not true. Like, we are nature, and what we create is a continuation of nature. And the way I see that is it's very much about this theory of, of... I read this book which influenced me quite a bit called How Information Growth. And this book is talking about, fundamentally, how life seems to be... have this tendency to, 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 to grow, to, to become more and more complex, go against entropy, right? So... For me, when I look at this, your statement, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, this separation is actually meaningless. We are nature. What, what we're creating is continuation of this, of this world, continuation of nature. We are incapable to create something which is not this world, right? It's all still in the same constraints. We're still life creating more life. And this way, these machines, which we really kind of psychologically want to say, oh, it's not us, they somehow different. They actually seems to be continuation of us, continuation of life. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what I I think that's one way of reading it, and it's a very good way of reading it. Um, the the fact that they are creating by us, you know, we're always looking at the ghost in the machine, which would be the consciousness. Can an artificial machine, as some of circuits, can be a, a conscious thing? And that's one of the big questions, and we don't have yet an answer to that. Uh, even the theories of human consciousness are kind of conflicting. One, one major one says that the consciousness is formed somewhere in the neocortex, and it's a function of the neocortex, while others says that it's a function of the sum of our uh, connections in the, in the back of the brain. If the latter is true, that means that if we have enough connections artificially made, so not the biological support, they can still be consciousness. They can still be conscious. Um, so what I tried also to say in that article is that that effort of ours, we as anthropologists say we are the only animal who doesn't want to be one. Um, so we create, we over, you know, we layer over layer of stories that 
separate us from nature. And one of the stories we tell ourselves that separates from nature is the story that we're endowed with consciousness and intelligence. Or it was up to recently because uh, studies and, and, and in the biology and so on show that uh, there are many forms of intelligence in the animal world and even consciousness. However, popularly, we still believe that there is something that separates us from the animals. And that popular view is the view that is prevalent, in fact, among the people who are involved in artificial intelligence. It's the Cartesian view, the, 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 muddy, the mind-body separation. That view has religious uh, 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 roots. It's embedded in the, in the separation of mind and body because our body, as I was saying in the, in the article, our body is what reminds us that we are part of nature. Uh, so the big question is, how do you think of yourself? Do you think that you have a body or do you think that you are a body? And in function of the answer of this question, it, it really tells you what your underlying unquestioned assumption about your link to nature is. If you think you have a body, that means there is something else that have that body, that something else being the spirit, basically. If you say, I am a body, well, therefore, I am like any other being, and the body, my finitude is my body. Now, what this kind of view did, it, uh, the view that I have a body, in fact, it allowed us to build all these very complicated technological a world in which we live it today, in which nature is used as a as a as a resource, not as an asset. Right? In which we think nature is limitless and we can just use it and use it and use it. And and we do the same with our bodies, you know, and we have all these kind of interesting things about how to perform better, to go to the gym, eat, I don't know what kind of proteins and so on, in order to uh, optimize the body that we have. This kind of thinking is also projected in artificial intelligence and it's somehow, um, uh, artificial intelligence, the way it's built, it's, it's, some, it's somehow a um, distillation of this, in which the, the body is proven, if this, the machine is intelligent, therefore we prove that the body is not necessary, right? But now, what I'm trying to do in that article is to say, okay, let's say this is true. Let's say that even there will be a time in which we have artificial general intelligence. What kind of perception that type of intelligence will have of nature? Uh, probably none, <laughs> because there's no link. And probably for as, as nature is for us humans, humans will be for them the AGI, the Artificial General Intelligence. So they will be doubly remote from nature. There are even those thoughts, intelligence, you know, that uh, the, the thinking exercises like, imagine you give an Artificial Intelligence the, 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 the order the, to make, uh, how do you say, uh, office, office uh, what do you call those trombones? Office clippers. Yeah, if if you program 
and you give her all the resources to make those, it will end up destroying civilization because it will use every scrap of metal <laughs> found to make those. So mm. it will cover the whole world <laughs> in those little things. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this, this example is uh, is is very well kind of describing human compatible, right? This book. I think you recommended me this book actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's from you. I learned about this one. Yeah. And I was today was I was preparing. I was like, oh yes. This all like when I was reading your article, I was also remembering human compatible, and how human compatible basically is saying is that we will continue to develop artificial intelligence as a machine which we will give an order and try to restrict this order, kind of saying, do this but don't do this and do don't do this and don't do, and don't you know don't don't kill humans in the process and don't use that. Then then we will never really create artificial intelligence which will not be harmful, and the only way how to create artificial intelligence which is uh, beneficial for humans. What he's arguing in this book is he's saying you need to make this artificial intelligence very confused about humans and kind of humans need to be mysterious and at the same time it needs to be uh, trying to please their figure out their preferences, right? Continuously try to figure out their preferences and operate on assumptions that I don't know who, who humans are, right? And when I, when I read this book, for me, what was interesting is that it's perfect designer, right? Perfect designers, the way I understand design today, have to be very curious about other human beings and have this fundamental belief that it's impossible to know everything about them, right? And beneficial artificial intelligence, to, be, to stay beneficial to humans, need to have, like, need to believe that humans are mystery. And the goal of this artificial intelligence need to be, please, the humans to, 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 to figure out their preferences and constantly play this game, constantly try to do that, knowing it's impossible to achieve this ultimate goal. When you were talking about, like, what you were talking about this, right, uh, about this uh, article, you started basically with, from what I understand, like, bias or theory of excep exceptionality, right? We humans believe that we are very, very special. We, we, we're not nature. We're not this. We're not that. We also almost as if we are the only people, we, like the only species with consciousness, which is complete nonsense. You know, uh, elephants are extremely intelligent uh, creatures, dolphins as well. And there's a crows. ton of different types of intelligence. Crows, like crows, yes, absolutely unbelievable. So it, for me, it's, it's, it's rings not true. And it's also because I know humans have so many biases, it feels like immediately like, oh, it's just yet another one, right? Like we, we know about ourselves that we have tendency to simplify, build these very simple models, separate ourselves. And then you're asking, okay, do you feel as though you have a body or you feel as though you are the body? What is interesting for me is that from my, my childhood, I was very separated from my body. I was always feeling like I'm definitely not the body. I'm something different. And I had all kinds of problems with my body because of that. And, and all that I get, the more I realize I am this whole thing, right? I'm accepting that I am the body and, and, and this entitles kind of, I'm learning through my body. There's something which is kind of like a metaphor of body of knowledge, which is, which is in a funny way, is my body. My body is learning, not only me, uh, kind of, no, I am part of this, right? I'm part of this game. No. This is my body, right? This is, this is my today's present. That bit about machine anthropology, uh, which we started out with, I think that was actually for me amongst all the ideas that you put out there was absolutely the most mind blowing. And uh, I had the same sort of, I think, gut reaction to it, which Ilya mentioned earlier, which was that you have 
almost a continuum, really. It's you've got nature, you've got humanity, and then you've got machinity, as you call it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think ethics, for me at least, not being uh, you know an expert in the field, but as an outsider, ethics gets... Uh, at the end of the day, it gets grounded in information as well, in our knowledge, I should say, in the sense that, you know, it was perhaps completely not at all unethical to be using a lot of carbon fuels till we figured out the impact of carbon dioxide on the planet's climate and climate change. It was not unethical to be burning fossil fuels 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, today, we might be doing things which we may think are completely ethical or are neutral, a hundred years from now, they might be completely unethical because we discover that that action has a negative consequence. I think the uh, piece which I was trying to get out of that was that when you come to the machinity, right, surely um, when it looks back upon its creators or its source uh, and has the same contradiction, which is which we have towards nature, which is that we want to exploit nature, but we also know that we're dependent upon it, and it is our creator. In a sense, will the machinity have that same conflict that towards humanity, that, oh, you know, these are the people who made me, so maybe, I, and they might actually help me at some point of time, and I need them, uh, maybe not necessarily in a physical sense, but maybe even just in a way of... Uh, how we need biodiversity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the place that we're going to, one? And two, given the fact that, I guess, it's not really an assumption, it's true that the machinery will have access to information and knowledge way beyond what we do today. Uh, will its ethics not be informed by a much higher body of knowledge? And therefore, hopefully, it'll be a lot more benign towards us. Where I'm going towards is, I don't have to worry about machines killing me off someday. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about that either. Uh, but it's interesting what you point out there, because uh, basically, you're kind of pointing out to the fact that if we are to accept that we'll arrive, we'll arrive to that point of artificial general intelligence, which, by the way, I highly doubt, and I'll get back to that. But um, the, the, uh, the, the question that you, you, you put, in fact, is the question of what is the consciousness of machinity or how, what is the morality of machinity or the, will it develop an ethics in itself? So that is like looking for the ghost in the machine, right? So that continuum thing that I'm saying there is that you do not have to use to look for the ghost somewhere else. The ghost in the machine is us, right? And this is visible even now with all the conversations that we have about biases built in into the artificial intelligence systems and how they reproduce and accentuate our own, uh, uh, or not our own, but the designer's biases and the dominant uh, culture. Uh, you have it right there in, in front of you. Look, it's in fact those machines, at least the way they are now, they they only give back what you put in. It's the first law of cybernetics, right? <laughs> so if the way we, we build it is the way it will respond to us. The problem I have with the artificial intelligence as it is today, 
So I would, I would like to maybe have a conversation on that. And I would like to know what is your problem with artificial intelligence, if you have anyone. Anyone. Is this quest of towards optimization. Because obviously those tools that we create and we call artificial intelligence, they are optimizing tools. My question is, uh, yeah, you can optimize almost everything if you have uh, enough uh, big data. But the way you optimize it, does it really mean that it's optimized? In what sense? What does it mean, optimization? Is it about the financial efficiency? Is it about effectiveness, which may not be financial sustainable? And do you really need to optimize everything? I, I want to ask you a question. If, let's say, you have this, you know, you have your wristwatch, it gets your pulse, your blood pressure, everything. It also has a lot of data about your ancestry and DNA, and it kind of knows what your, uh, how you are exposed to different type of diseases and so on. And then it has a system that tells you what's your optimal uh, uh, food at that moment of the day, in that moment, and you're craving a croissant. And this thing tells you, no, you should eat uh, a raw salmon. But you don't want a raw salmon in that moment. You want the croissant. Would you, what would you do? Uh, it will, I think uh, I'll give you the direct answer. I probably will try and follow its instructions, at least for a while, if I find that those are not completely outside of my preference set. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, but I think I also know, in a sense, that we are all living in a continuum again, you know, that there's a spectrum of responses to that. Some people will just completely ignore uh, what the device is telling them, and some people mm -hmm. will uh, only follow it blindly. I'm probably leaning towards the follow the device. Okay. So what if this machine, you are a, a doctor or a nurse, and this machine tells you in the same optimized way that this patient, it starts a kind of an alarm and says, okay, there's a possibility of sepsis. The danger is that people, not like you, but people that in this kind of mind setting, they will automatically start the sepsis protocol. Whereas the machine tells you, it doesn't tell you with certainty that it is a sepsis. Good point. Yeah. So that's, that's what's best. called suspension of think clinical thinking. And it happens, and it may happen to ev every one of us, because sometimes after long hours, you're tired. You cannot, you know, <laughs> and so on. So I think the problem with the machines is always us, the humans, and is the, re uh, is the interaction and how, how well are we educated to interact with them. And I think this is the, the next field that we really need to look into for working uh, space, for example, is the education of interaction with the machine. Uh, how well are you educated in the certain type of system with which you interact with? The same way as it was with the industrial era, because you made a very good point there. In the industrial era, you need to have instruction on how to move those big things in order not to cut your fingers. Well, funnily enough, now we think that if we can move our fingers on a screen and make it do things, we also know what it does, but we don't. We don't, yeah. Yeah, with a, with a big analog machine, the, the effect was immediately you would cut a finger. With this, you won't, 
but you don't know what it does really. So we're really kind of like at this moment where uh, half educated or not at all educated for the tools we have at our disposal and with which we work on a daily basis. We, we learn how to do their functionality, but we don't learn about their um, uh, real effects. So that's why I think this push in ethics, in artificial intelligence ethics for transparency and, and explainability of algorithms is really important and it needs to be kind of generalized for most of the people who do work with these systems.